Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. Good morning. I am not Chris Kretzu, the campus pastor of South Hills Costa Mesa, but I look like him. So I was asked to uh, stand in his place this morning. Chris uh, and the family are away getting some rest and relaxation, recuperation, all the R words. Uh, But I, you know, I, I never want to miss the opportunity when I have the opportunity to stand in for him while he's away to say that I love, well, first of all, if you know me, you know I just love him so dang much, but I also love the way he leads and the way he models for us as a part of this church community what it means to invest in the relationships around us in our families and to take time away to rest, knowing that it's not always about us and the world will continue to carry on and, and we, can, we can step away to, to recharge in a, in a society that doesn't oftentimes value rest. I always appreciate how he models that, look, sometimes we need to uh, take a pause and and rest and and refill. So uh, I'm happy to be here and to continue in this series that we're in about uh, the the Holy Spirit, breath, doves, clouds, and fire. So the premise of this, this series is that as we understand God and who God is and who we are and who we are in relationship to God, uh, there's, you know, we look oftentimes as Christians to the Trinity, this concept of God, three persons in one, and, and the Trinity is made up of a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit. And we have social constructs, we have parallels, we have analogies that help us understand conceptually the idea of God existing as a Father. We see fathers, we've experienced fathers, we, we have an idea of what it means to be a son or to experience relationship as a son. I, I happen to be a father and a son, but we've all experienced fathers and sons if we are one or we are not. So we at least have an idea to, to grasp onto what is that relational dynamic uh, entail, what's, what's behind that. But the spirit is a little bit uh, squishier. It's a little bit harder to grasp. And so naturally, the, the writers of the, the scriptures turn to metaphor, which is where we see these metaphors of breath, doves, clouds, and fire, the title of this series. Today, my friends, it's all about the dove. (laughs) So before we dive in and look at this metaphor of the dove, if you're willing and able, would you stand with me as we read a passage? And then I'll pray. You know, the, the, the reality is that this ancient text, these stories and letters and poems, although sometimes confusing and oftentimes difficult to understand, have weight and value and practical application in our lives. So we we turn our attention to them, and then we're going we're gonna to pray, and we'll, we'll start to, to get after it. It says this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. 
Lord, this morning as we, we gather, we reorient ourselves around you, who you are, what it means to be in relationship with you. God, would you awaken us to your presence, to your spirit in us, around us, at work, in our lives. Lord, would you give us eyes to see what you would have for us to do next? Would you give us ears to hear whatever message we may need from you in this moment? And would we leave a changed people because we have opened eyes and ears and we're, we're watching actively for you in our lives? Lord, be at work in our hearts so you could be at work through our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So for context here, we've got two uh, wandering Jewish teachers, <laughs> John and Jesus. John, we call John the Baptist often because he traveled around teaching this concept of turn or return to the one true God of Israel and then mark that decision by this outward display of water baptism. It's a tradition we carry on now. Even for those of you who were here a few weeks ago with a, a, a giant thing here, tub, <laughs> basin, <laughs> baptismal, <laughs> whatever, like the, the cowboy tub that we baptize one another in. We, we practice this even now because it's this powerful demonstration of I'm receiving this new life God has for me. So I'm going to go down into the water and I'm going to come out a new person with access to this new life, this recognition, this public demonstration of something that's gone on inside my life. This was John's message. But part of his message was also, there's somebody else coming. So yeah, I'm going to baptize you in water. And we're going to keep doing that. In fact, Jesus even took part in that. But he said, someone's going to come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. So like water, we can touch, we can descend into, we can come out of, we can dry ourselves off from. But so the, this, this concept of the Holy Spirit and baptizing by the Holy Spirit was something different. So it's not just like, there's going to be a better teacher than me coming. It's that, no, God is sending someone who's going to be doing this new thing, and it's going to be powerful, and he's going to be baptizing by more than just water, but by this Holy Spirit. So then these two teachers begin to engage in this back and forth. And Jesus, as he typically, no, always does, wins the argument with John. John's like, whoa, bro, like, I, yes, I'm the Baptist, the Baptist, but like, you're the one I've been talking about. Like, you've got this switched up. Jesus is like, no, I want to I wanna do this. I, I want to experience this demonstration. I want to model this for people. It's why we still do it today. John loses a one-sentence long argument. He says, okay, John consented. It's like, yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm not going to win this one. Let's do it. And, and that's where we see the Spirit descend on Jesus like a dove. You see, we see the Spirit descend. We have John, this, this teacher who had come to notoriety at the time. And then we see this dove alight upon Jesus. And there was this tradition of, an, of anointing a new leader and understanding all the dynamics and, and what's underneath the surface. What's happening here is that John is anointing Jesus, even a, a peer of his, but he's saying, look, everyone pay attention because something new is happening here. We are going somewhere. And it says, heaven was opened when the dove descends. And in Mark's gospel, 
Mark uses a word that's translated torn. Heaven is torn open. It's split. It's divided. It's open. There's a tear uh, in the heavens. And this opening of the heavens, it's it's as if um, the separation between God and man, the separation between heaven and earth, I'm here, God is somewhere else, that that is torn, that's open, that's separated. Why is that significant? Because even here in Jesus' baptism, it's as if heaven is invading the earth. That this kingdom of God, which Jesus said over and over and over, it's here, it's near, it's among you, it's inside of you. So even here, the separation of heaven and earth is being torn. Mark uses the same word later in his gospel, when Jesus dies. It says, when Jesus died, the temple veil was torn. And in fact, it says it was torn in two. And that's a significant moment for the early Christians. It's a, it's a significant moment now even, because what that symbolized was access to God. You see, that this veil in the temple is what separated basically everyone else other than the high priest from God. So you had an intermediary, you had priests. So I would talk to the priest, the priest would talk to God, God would talk to the priest, the priest would talk to me. We all know that concept because we've all played the game telephone. (laughs) So the, the, the Jewish people understood this concept of like, there's something other that I am Uh, held back from, I am kept away from, that the priest has access to, one priest at a certain time of the year, otherwise it's off limits. So when that veil got torn, it symbolized, it represented everybody with having the ability to have direct access to God. But it's not just when Jesus died, the message is being made clear here as well. Even in Jesus' baptism, before he's done anything, before he's taught or healed, or done miracles. He's, there's, he, Jesus is bearing witness to this invasion of God into earth, of heaven to earth, present, now, here. So it says, heaven opens, and God's spirit descends like a dove. This would have been a major callback for this first century Jewish audience, because a dove played a pivotal role in one of the most important moments in their story, in their narrative. In the Hebrew scriptures, we have the story of Noah in the flood where you see a dove play a role. So Noah is on a boat in the middle of death, destruction, chaos, confusion, uncertainty. And then we read this. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So this is Noah sending this dove out into uncertainty, into a wasteland into chaos. And this dove comes back with an olive branch, with a, with a form of hope, guidance, direction. This message that there is new life. That chaos doesn't have the final word. That something new is happening here. 
So of course that this symbol of a dove with an olive branch in its beak began to be understood by Christians as a symbol of peace. Because even in the chaos, there was something happening. There was, we're going somewhere. And to go like even a layer down, we see in the creation poem, in Genesis chapter one, it says in verse two, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The word hovering here, it elicits essentially like a a sensation of movement or air or flow. And oftentimes it was understood uh, as like a, a bird's wings flapping like the, 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 the force or the air movement of a bird's wing. So when we think about the spirit of God hovering, it's this active movement over chaos. It, all, there's also this imagery or, or symbolism uh, understood in this word hovering of how a, um, a bird would hover over its eggs, would brood over its nest. It's this, it's this presence. It's this active presence, watching, protecting, waiting, present at work. So we we see it in the very creation, God's presence moving at work over the chaos. We see God's presence in the chaos of the flood. And then we see a dove bringing this sign of new life, that, that it doesn't end in death, destruction, chaos. There's new life to be experienced and an invitation to participate. The invitation for Noah was to participate in this new life, this new creation. And then here in Jesus' baptism, we see the dove descending, the heavens torn open, and the Spirit of God coming present now here on this man, displaying this concept of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit existing in this same space. And it's not just that God's Spirit was at work, but it's that God's Spirit is drawing us near. God is making God's self accessible to us, available to us. In addition to this bird hovering imagery, and in addition to the the dove bringing an olive branch back to the ark, Jesus's followers would have also understood the significance in the dove, of the dove in spiritual ritual sacrifices, which in our society and context, you read some of that. For those of you who do like the, the Bible in a year, you get to Leviticus and you're like, okay, deep breath. It's just going to be a week or so. <laughs> Let me just get through this because it doesn't quite make sense and it feels super barbaric. And in fact, if you read it and you're like, yep, 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 that all makes sense. Something is wrong with you. <laughs> like it, it just doesn't make sense in our concept, or, or we can't conceive it, and in our context, it doesn't make sense. But, but the ritual sacrifices, the power, the beauty behind the sacrifices were that this was a way for people individually and communally to come to God, experience his presence, and experience forgiveness. It was understood that this was a God of, of grace who invited people to draw near so you bring your stuff, not in a sense of, I don't know if I've crossed the line you know, for the 
however many plus one too many times, and I don't know if this is going to be accepted. I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know if God's going to stay mad at me. I don't know if he was ever mad at me. I don't know where I stand. No, the beauty of the sacrifices and the reason they're so terrible (laughs) to read, it was a very regimented process. This is what's going on. These are the steps. And then guess what? At the end, you're renewed. You're restored you're clean. It it was this invitation to draw near to God, and in God's goodness, you would be made whole. You would be restored. So this this concept of a sacrifice was, hey, God has created me with a purpose and an identity, and I bear God's image. And we all do, and we're all living this out together. So when I fall short, when I miss the mark, when I when I mess things up, I have a part to play in our experience. So I'm going to own my stuff. I'm going to show that I've got skin in the game. Sacrifices are about, it's going to cost me something. I'm going to bring forward something to say, I own my part, but I want to belong. I want to experience connection and reconnection and restoration in relationship with you whom I've offended or with God who I, who I, you know, I've not lived up to the standard at which he's created me to live. So I'm going to bring that forward and I'm going to draw near. You see, too oftentimes what happens is we make a mess of things and we draw away from ourselves, from others, from God. But this, this, this concept of a ceremonial sacrifice was no, no, no. Don't run away. We sang about the prodigal. What's the power of that story? Coming home and being welcomed and received. This, even though it feels ancient and barbaric, because it's ancient and barbaric, these sacrifices were about drawing close to God and experiencing his goodness and love and mercy and forgiveness. Myself and as a community, we're drawing near to experience this mercy. It was about an invitation to draw near. Now, there's, there's an incredibly powerful moment buried in the middle of a horrendously long list of, of instruction steps. And it's found in Leviticus. And this is, I promise I'm going somewhere with here because we're about to talk about a dove. <laughs> but it says in Leviticus uh, 14, 30, in the middle of this step-by-step set of instructions, we see, then he shall sacrifice, he's talking about the priest, the doves or the young pigeons, such as the person can afford. Because the actual intention was, if you read a few verses ahead, which I know you're like, after lunch, I'm going to go get into Leviticus 14. I know it. I can sense it. I can feel it. (laughs) But, But a little bit before it says, bring a lamb. Well, not everybody had access to a lamb. That might not be a reality for me or you. So what this is talking about is God creating provision, God creating the means by which you and I could come back to God. You see, because we don't always have the same amount of resource. We're not always in the same place in life, but the message was no one is excluded. Everyone gets to participate in this. This is not about status. This is not about wealth. This is not about power. This is about God wanting relationship and restoration. God wanting his people to experience forgiveness and mercy because this is formative. 
This is a practice that we take part in. This is an invitation we receive, which it enables us to extend it to others. This is, this is how God creates a new people. And not everybody had a lamb or a, or a cow or a whatever it called for. So then you see these caveats in the scriptures. Like, okay, and if you don't have that, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Grab a pigeon. <laughs> get, get, a, get a turtle dove. Why? Because that is what a person could afford. Now, for those who are around here, you go down to the peninsula or whatever, and it's like, you could grab a pigeon right off your plate sometimes. <laughs> like, that's the concept. Like, you don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have the, the, the means to experience God. Why? Because God creates the means to experience God. This is true for us here and now, no matter where we are, what we have, the invitation is drawn near to me. Come experience my goodness. This is what actually, uh, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, the, the scripture writers, typically in the, like the header of the scriptures, they have these like nice transitional titles or whatever. And you see one called the cleansing of the temple, which is, uh, I would have named it, Jesus throws a fit. <laughs> but you see Jesus go into the temple and he loses his dang mind. He's like, creates a whip and he's chasing people around, scaring everybody. Everyone's like, what's going on here? Jesus loses it. Why? Because there are people who have now made a game out of this process of, of experiencing God's mercy and forgiveness and restoration. They've realized that, ooh, not everybody's going to travel to the temple with their insert animal name. So then what we'll do is we'll sell them at the temple. But not as a way to say, look, this is, a, this is an opportunity to ex access God. No, it was a way to make money. It was a way to take something God created to be incredibly inclusive and powerfully restorative and make it difficult to profit off of that. Yeah, Jesus, like lost it at the idea that someone would pervert this invitation to access and experience God. So he goes after, it says, the money changers and the people selling the birds. Because he understood like, no, no, no. That caveat, that carve out, the reason the dove is so powerful in this moment is that nobody gets left out. Nobody gets excluded from God's presence. Nobody will we'll not have the means to come experience restoration for themselves and their role in the community. This is about everybody including, even or especially the poor around to experience, to be able to draw near and God providing the means to do so. So now imagine, back to the, the story of Jesus' baptism. You're on the edge of the water. You're hearing this story told. And a dove descends. And you've got all this imagery. You have all of this context, all of this history, all of this background in your mind. And then you hear a voice from the heaven say, this is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. This exchange, this voice, confirms for Jesus and for everyone around exactly who he was, exactly who he was to himself and to God of who he was to the community, of who he was eventually to his followers, where he stands with God is made incredibly obvious to everyone. 
And what happened after that moment? That was the moment in which Jesus launched his ministry. He began to teach and preach and heal. He, he started that ministry with a sense of peace, direction, clarity, because of what he had received from the Spirit and from the Father. Now, what if it's possible in this day and age where, we're, where we encounter a barrage of mixed messages and competing priorities and, and, and ways of, in which we're told to live? What if we could even access something like this, this, this peace and this clarity and this guidance and this direction? Is it possible? You're going to be shocked to hear my answer to that rhetorical question. <laughs> yes, I think it's possible. Why do I think it's possible? I think it's possible. I think, I think it's before I answer. I think it takes intentional action. I think it takes practice. I think it takes a lot of humility. I think it takes a lot of quiet. But I tend to believe the words that we find in John's gospel. Poor Luke. I'm covering everybody but Luke. Next time. Next time, bro. Okay. John says this, but very truly I tell you, it is good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, here's the deal. Jesus' presence, Jesus as a, a human on this earth, walking around and teaching and preaching and healing, it was great for the few closest to him. It was really, really good for his 12 disciples. It was fantastic for those he touched and spoke into and physically healed, or, or whatever the interaction with Jesus was. It was, that was awesome for them. But the, the reality of Jesus as a human man walking and teaching is that he can only interact with so many people. So even though those closest to him were devastated, crushed that he would go, not only because it didn't fit their concept of what a Messiah was to do, but because they had been living in relationship with him. And then before he leaves, he says, no, it's good. It's good that I go. Why? Because it's, it's bigger than just him. It's bigger than just them. This kingdom of God, this work that the spirit has been doing, was still doing, involved all of us. It involves all of us. This is how Jesus could then invite his disciples to keep it going. He said, look, I'm going to send you an advocate. Like, you all need help. That's clear. <laughs> and the, the, the gospel writers didn't try to cover that. Up. Like, well, oh, these probably weren't the best picks, but here we go. <laughs> Hold on for dear life. No, but, but he understood. No, the spirit that I'm going to give you, this helper, this advocate, it's going to equip you. It's going to encourage you. It's going to help you course correct. It's going to remind you of how this life is to be lived. Now go, go do it, go do it. Go into all the world, go everywhere. There's no, there's no off limits. Go, go, go. Make more disciples, go. Keep this thing going. This isn't just about me. This isn't just about this moment. This isn't just about our relationship. It's about a bigger thing that the Spirit's been up to since the very beginning. It's about something that the Spirit is doing even now and this, this, this Spirit is gonna be with you in you. That's why, he, why we say Jesus baptized with the Spirit. He, he, he allowed people to experience this, the, the reality of the Spirit animating them and awaken to the fact that God's Spirit is 
in us and with us and for us and around us. It goes before us. It teaches us continually. It transforms us. Transforms the way we live and think, interact, react. That's why Paul was able to remind this, the church in Philippi. First of all, the fact that there even was a church in the Philippi meant that his followers had the audacity to do it. He said, go, go, go. And they went. They, they went. Why? Because they experienced this power. This, this for even a, even a people who were not welcomed, who were persecuted, who were a threat, they went anyway because there was a new thing going on and they, they were invited into it. They were invited into it. So Paul says to these people, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. This is a very um, Instagrammable message. It's very like, yeah, man, yeah, that's good. I, I'm not going to argue that. But the reality in our lives is this feels one of two things. One, it feels a little like mind over matter philosophy. Like, oh, let's just pretend that life is not hard. And I just, like, like, look at the, Look at the fun thing, you know? So it's like, ah, I don't, I don't buy that. Like, I don't buy the depth of that. Or we say like, yeah, that's wonderful. Um, in fact, I'm going to get a forearm tattoo of that bad boy. But I don't know that I can really buy it. Like, it's a great, uh, this is a great mental concept. But life is hard. And I don't have mine together. And I'm going to go to work tomorrow. My boss is still going to be a jerk. Or I'm going to, you know, go wherever. And I'm going to encounter somebody. I'm going to react like an idiot. Or, or I'm, I'm going through something. I, I've got trauma that I haven't healed from. Or I'm in a situation or a season in life that's very hard. And this doesn't feel true. Like, I don't see anything good. I don't see anything praiseworthy. Because my life's a dumpster fire. Like sometimes that's, that is our experience. That is our reality. And actually, the, like, the, like that's the good news. That's the invitation because guess what? None of us are going to figure this out on our own. We're never just going to have a mental ascent to like all of these sets of beliefs and then away we go happily ever after. No, things are going to be hard. Life has ups and downs. There are good times and there are bad times. There are good moments within bad days and there are bad moments within good days. And, and we experience all of it. So, so for us to just like do it under our own strength or will it to happen is not going to work. Maybe for a minute, maybe for a day or a week. That's not how it works, but that's the good news. That's the invitation in all of this is that God's spirit has been at work since the very beginning. God's spirit has shown up over and over and over with new life. We're going somewhere. This isn't the end. The chaos isn't how things are to pan out. Death doesn't have the final word. God is doing something. So then we read passages like, God's working together all things for the good of those who love him. Or you have access to a peace that passes all understanding. You just like want to hit the BS button. You're like, not me though. 
Like surely that, no, that can't be. That can't be good. That can't be God. He surely can't be at work in this. The, the reality is it, there's never a, like a materially happy ending promise. What, what we can though experience is transformation. We can experience this new life, this new hope, this new way of being in the ups and the downs, in the good and the bad. That's why Paul says, focus on these things because there is good around you. There is lovely around you. There's admirable things around you. There are excellent, praiseworthy things around you. You might not feel like it, but this is how we begin to experience transformation or a transformed mind as Paul called it. Why? Because God is near. God's spirit is at work. God's spirit is drawing us, all of us. No one is excluded. If you're in this room and you feel like, yeah, this is all great, but not for me. I've crossed the line or I've screwed up one too many times or I've, whatever it is, grab a dove because that's what God makes available. You don't need to, to figure it out. You don't need to manufacture the answer. God makes God's self available, accessible. He invites us to draw near. So this week, as we go from this room into whatever is next for us, whatever context or environment you're, you're going to operate in for the next week, I want us all to think about this passage. I want us to read it. I want us to write it down. I want us to say it in our heads. I want to say it out loud. Say it to each other. But, but think about this. Meditate on this. Internalize this. This word that Paul has for us. And, and if as you're doing it, your reaction is like, I don't feel it. <laughs> I don't buy it. Good. Ask for God's help. Do a work in me. I can't do this on my own. I can't get here on my own. I can't see it. I can't see the goodness. I can't see where you're working. Good. Ask him to help, help you see. That, that experience of, 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 of experiencing God will change us. And it's a practice. It's not just a one time, I've seen the light and, you know, whatever. It's, this is a practice or, or a discipline to sit, to meditate, to read these words and experience God's closeness, presence in our lives. It's a gift. It's a gift that God's spirit allows us to step into. It is simply an invitation to be received. My prayer this morning, in this moment, and, and through the rest of the week is that we would become increasingly aware. We would be tuned in. We'd be paying attention. We'd be uh, watching for God to be at work. We, we, would, we would have these prompts to see the true, the good, the noble, the right, the things that are excellent and praiseworthy, even if or especially if things aren't going our way, if things don't feel good and right or praiseworthy. May we do it anyway. May he give us the eyes to see that, no, 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 even if things don't feel good. I'm at work in this because I've always been at work since the very beginning. And I want you to draw near to me. Pray with me. God, we just uh, are grateful for the invitation to draw close. No matter where we've come from, no matter what we've done, no matter what we're experiencing, the invitation is that you are accessible 
and you create the means by which we can access you. Lord, would you help us still our thoughts? Would you help us tune out the voices around us, the negative tapes that play in our mind? Would we find our identity in you as we draw close, as we approach you and experience restoration, forgiveness, acceptance, peace? And would would receiving that invitation do something in us? Would it transform us? Receiving your forgiveness, we then find the ability to extend forgiveness. Receiving your peace and mercy, may it make us peaceful and merciful. Experiencing your goodness, may it make us good to those around us. And I know and recognize that we cannot do it on our own. We need your help. We ask for your help. For those of us who, who might feel like we're, we're in over our head, we're at the end of our rope, we're at, we're at our wit's end, may that be a place of beautiful restoration and experience of your presence. Would we be, would we be encouraged and held up by you? For those of us who maybe experiencing self-made comfort, would you rattle our cage so that we can understand this is not about us? This is about you. All of us, would we become increasingly aware of your presence in our lives? Would you be at work in our hearts so that you could be at work through our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, in our friendships? wherever we find ourselves. And would you help us see it? Would you help us see you at work in all situations, good and bad, present, drawing us, calling us? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.